Thank you, Jesus. We just bless you, Lord. We bless you, Lord. We bless you, Lord. You're so good. Lord, just bless Lester and Matt. Lord, bless Rick and Lynette. In Jesus' name, just let your favor overshadow us, God. Let the light of your face shine on us, Lord. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You guys ready? We are starting a new series. How many like doing a series, a topical thing for Wednesday nights? It works well. We've got a couple other things. We've done parenting. We've done, pretty soon we're going to do marriage thing. Um, We're going to talk about marriage. We're going to talk about stuff like that. Um, So we've got some other things on the docket. Um, But we're going to start for the next few weeks and maybe six weeks or so. Um, we're going to talk about how to be a happy intercessor, and, and the, that name, Happy Intercessor, I wish I would have come up with it, but um, it's from a book um, from a lady named Benny Johnson. She wrote this book about, um, oh, it was a couple years back, about intercession and what it's about. And as a church, we're talking about moving into becoming a house of prayer and not just being a church, and not just being a place of worship, not just being a place of child care and children's church a place of discipleship. All these things are awesome. We, we want to do those things and become better and better at all of them, right? But we can't become better and better at all those if we don't become better and better at prayer. Prayer is the key to everything. You know, I've been reading um, this book. It's, it's, it's the Charisma Report from the Brownsville Revival. And I like to read about revivals and I'm starting to, starting to get a good library of, of, of books from, from the Topeka outpouring and, and stuff like that. And, and in here... Um, Pastor Kilpatrick, um, he says right here, he said, nothing laid the foundation for the Brownsville revival like prayer did. He said, years earlier, Kilpatrick spent an extended time in prayer about the direction of the church's Sunday night services, what they should do. He said, during that time, the Lord prompted him and and turned him to our, our key verse that we talked about a few weeks back, Matthew 21, 13. It says, my house will be called a house of prayer. It says, so in 1993, Pastor Kilpatrick and the church leadership decided to set Sunday night aside specifically only for prayer. And they began to pray for the church to have revival. And how many of you have ever heard of the Brownsville Revival, heard the stories? Um, hundreds of thousands of people were saved and healed and delivered through that revival. People, people that I know, their lives were turned around from that revival. And, and it doesn't happen without prayer. I mean... The, the good things, the, 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 the times when God moves in our life, it doesn't happen just by accident. It happens, yeah, God sometimes and a lot of times will act sovereignly because He knows best. But most of the time, it's God partnering with the cries of people on the earth. When God moves most of the time, it's when someone on earth has a direct line and connects with Him and cries out to Him for His will to be done. When God hears that, He can't help but move and, and stir Himself up to action. And so um, we're going to talk the next weeks about a lot of different topics in prayer. But in Isaiah 56, verse 7, this is where that scripture in Matthew that I just read came from. It's Isaiah 56, verse 7. It says, I will bring them to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. I love that. I will bring them to my holy mountain and I will make them joyful in my house of prayer. So there's holiness and joy in the house of prayer. So the key to being happy Christians 
is to be happy intercessors. If you, if, if, if you or I are having a hard time maintaining joy in our life, the number one cause for, for lack of joy in a Christian's life is lack of intimacy and prayer with God. That is the number one cause for us not being fully content and satisfied with who we are as believers. It's something lacking in our relationship with the Father in prayer. Isaiah 56, 7 says, I will bring them to my holy mountains. The key to holiness is prayer, and the key to joy is prayer. It says, their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. I want you to hear that. If you and I want the things we do with our hands to please God and to be accepting to Him and the sacrifices we make in our lives to rise before Him as, a, as what is intended to be, it comes from a house of prayer. It comes from a place of prayer, not from a place of works, not from a place of talent, not from a place of anointing, comes from a place of intimate prayer time with the Father. Amen? It says, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. And that's what we want to be as a church. And so tonight we're going to just kind of take a journey um, to introduce us into these next topics. We're going to get into into prophetic dreams and prayers. We're going to get into visions and prayer. We're going to get into what do you do when you don't get an answer to prayer. We're going to get into all that kind of stuff over the next few weeks. But tonight I felt it's important first for us to define what prayer is and for us to understand that it's bigger than we think that it is and it's not just us bringing a list before God and and throwing up on Him. Yeah? If... Every day when Josiah comes home from school, I want to know, how's your day? How's it going? I just want to talk to him. Sometimes he just wants to run in and say, oh, I'm hungry. I want this. I want that. I want, I, I want to watch cartoons here. Fix this there. Right? Those, those times frustrate me because I just want to talk to him. I want to know, what did you learn today? I don't remember. Yes, you do. Think about it for a minute. I want to have a conversation with him. I don't want to just do stuff for him, even though that's part of being a father, I want the, the connection with Him. And God's the same way with us. Sometimes we just zoom in to our prayer parking space. We throw up our prayer list and we tell Him everything we need and everything that's frustrating us. And then we feel better from throwing up on Him and then we leave without Him ever talking to us, without ever checking on Him, without, without, without ever saying how awesome He is to us or, or recounting the many things He's already done for us. Right? And God doesn't want prayer to be like that. So I think there's about five things that I want to hit on. There's definitely more, but there's about five things I want to hit that define what prayer is. And the first one is prayer is friendship with God. And again, I'll have all these notes typed up um, like we did for the last class. I meant to have it on PowerPoint tonight, but um, I, had a, I had a guest this afternoon, and I did not get to finish that. So that's, that's on me. Um, so you just have to listen and take notes, which you'll probably do better without something up there to read or something in your hands. But the number one thing about prayer, what prayer is, it's literally friendship with God. I don't think that any of us really even have scratched the surface in understanding how much God wants to be with us. Like, everybody okay? Like, He just wants to be with us. He wants to be in the same room with us. He wants to feel the warmth of our skin. He wants to hear our breath. He just wants to be in the same room with us. 
How many of you have ever put one of your ch- children to bed when they're little and, and they're, they're asleep but they're not completely asleep and you lay them in their bed and you, kinda, you start to move away from them and they know that you're not there anymore and they're like, they just want to feel you. They're sleeping, they're fine, but they just want your, your skin next to them. That's how the Father feels about us. He just wants to be with us. He just wants to be close. He wants to, to feel our heartbeat. He wants, to, he wants to know what we're going through. He just wants to spend quality time with us. And we are way too busy. Punch your neighbor and say, we're way too busy. Come on, everybody punch somebody. We're way too busy. I think, you know, Matilda and I, we've talked about this a lot. And I talked about this at other church um, with a lot of people that had moved from, from Nigeria and from, from an African country that was bathed in prayer. They, that's what they did. They prayed. They, spent, they had all-night prayer meetings all the time. And we had a very large um, African uh, congregation at our other church. And every one of them, their biggest fear when they came to America was raising their kids in a culture that was too busy for God. Some of us, we have issues that are going on, and we need, we have crisis going on right now. How many would be honest? Some, I have crisis in my life that needs God's intervention. Do you know where the answers to that crisis come from? Being with the one who solves all of life's issues. Like, we rush in, we rush out, we do all these things that seem really vital and important to our life. And then we cry to God and we're like, God, how come this thing's not fixed? How come this thing's not better? When all the answers we need are in His presence. In His presence, our fullness is fullness of joy. Pleasures forevermore. And we are so stinking busy that we can't even be in friendship with God. We've reduced prayer from friendship to I read a list of things I want from you. Now please do them for me, my genie. God didn't want prayer for, for only for us to bring our list to Him. Did He make provision for that? Yeah, He's like, hey, bring your prayers and your petitions to me. I want to know. Tell me what's going on. But He did not invent this, this correspondence between man and Him so that man could say, hey, earth sucks. This is horrible. What can you do about it? He, he wants us to literally just be with Him. Just spend time with Him. He has the answers. And yet we've got this going on. And we've got that going on. And I'm just too busy to spend time with the Lord. How many of, ever, have, how many of us have ever said that? I, I have. Do you know that, let me say this. If you, will, if you will not sit down in your daily life, block off time and say, this is God's period, and protect that time, you won't spend time with God the way you need to every day. Something else will demand that time. I mean, it's really easy. It's really plain and simple. I know about me, there are certain things that I have to block off time. And, and before church service is a bad time to try to catch me, I block that time off. I, I don't want to talk about issues. I, I really need to keep focused. I mean, I'm talking about me personally. If I don't block that time off, then always something will always rise up. And it will demand that time. Because time is like something's going to feel it. I've got to always be doing something, even if I'm doing nothing. Might as well do something while you're doing nothing, right? And if you don't say, God, this is your time, it's yours, and really mean it and put boundaries around that time, then we will. We'll end up at the end of the day and go, man, today didn't have 24 hours in it. It only had 18, it seemed like. I didn't have time for you, God. I'm sorry, I'll catch you tomorrow. We'll catch up tomorrow. And, and you know what? I think God's gracious. I really do. 
I think that that happens to us a lot, and we go to him, and sometimes I feel bad. I'm like, God, I didn't spend time with you like I needed to yesterday. And God goes, let's not spend time right now in shame about yesterday. You're with me now. Let's talk about now. So I want to say that. If you've had a hard time lately in your time with God, it's just like, you know, how many of you have ever gotten into an argument or a fight with your husband, your wife, someone you really love, and, and the argument gets into it, and you're like, I just wanted to be with you. I just want to spend time with you. This has happened with my wife and I many times. We've had this argument or this thing that we're talking about. And she's like, I just wanted your time. I'm like, I'm here with you right now. Let's not talk about what I didn't do or what didn't happen. How many of you have ever had? And she said the same thing to me. Let's not punish each other for what we didn't do. Let's enjoy the moment we're in right now. Let's fix it from here on out. So I just want to throw that in. If you've been having a hard time with your time with the Lord, block off time. Don't go in from this point and say, God, I feel horrible with the last few weeks. I've got to make it up to you. He doesn't need you to make it up to him. You don't owe him one. He just wants to start now. Let's be together and let's work on it from here on. There's no room for guilt and shame in the kingdom. All right? So prayer cannot just, it's friendship with God. It can't even just be a discipline. Now that I just said that, let me say this. <laughs> prayer can't just be a, a block of time that I say is yours, God. I'm going to pray. I'm going to spend time with you. Here I am, God. I punched my card. This is my duty. It's my responsibility. I told you this time is yours every day. Here I am. It can't just be that either. It has to be something that's felt from the heart. And God is not concerned with how long you pray or how many scriptures you read. He's concerned with the connection you make with Him in the time you spend with Him. There I hear that? He's not concerned with how long you're there, but He is concerned that when you're there, you really connect heart to heart with Him. All right? It's about friendship. Prayer is an intimate act that transforms us into His likeness. That's the friendship. Prayer is friendship. And under that, it's an intimate friendship that when I'm with Him, I become like Him. I love what Paul says, and I've been quoting this a lot lately, is we don't know what will be when he comes back for us. But one thing we do know is that when he appears, we're going to be just like him. How does that happen? Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. See, when I look at him, when I spend time with him, I become like him. You know, we've kind of been quoting C.S. Lewis a lot lately, but I get these daily quotes from him and A.W. Tozer and a couple of people like that. And and a few weeks back, I got this quote, and I said, this fits into this point. C.S. Lewis said, I pray because the need flows out of me all the time, when I'm awake, when I'm asleep. It doesn't change God, but it changes me. He says, the need to be with him just comes out of me, whether I'm asleep, whether I'm awake, it doesn't matter. I just need to be with God. He goes, and it's not so I can change God's mind, or I can move God to do something. It's so that I can become like him. And that's what it's all about. Prayer is friendship with God. And the cool thing about it is when I'm with Him, I become like Him. You know the old saying, birds of a feather? If we hang out with God a whole lot, we'll become just like Him. All right? Number two, so prayer is friendship with God. Prayer is speaking the words of God on the earth. It's declaring what we hear Him say in heaven. All right, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on that. We'll hit on that probably some more in the next few weeks. But prayer is, there are times where we say, hey God, you said this. 
You said that this would happen if we did this. And God, you gave me this promise, and I am declaring your promises into the earth. I am speaking with my mouth the things that I've heard you say to me, and I'm creating worlds with the words you just spoke into me. It's a powerful thing, all right, guys? It's, it's literally, we can create life and death with our tongue. And, and I know, you know, we quote this a lot. I will never apologize for it. All right, this is some. This is someone we learned, We've learned a lot from, and I'm in, I'm indebted to this man. Bill Johnson says, <laughs> says when we say what God is saying, all of heaven comes and backs us up, so that what we say happens. It's like it has all of heaven's weight behind it. You know, I, I got this image a few a few months back when God was dealing with me about a completely different issue. But I was, I was thinking, I don't want my words to be like ping pong balls hitting the enemy and just bouncing off. And we had an old inside joke with one of our friends. He's like, your, your words bounce off me like ping pong balls. And, and I, I got that picture of my words not having any weight behind them, just bouncing off of them like ping pong balls. It, was no, it, it had no impact on him. And I started thinking, you know, I want my words to have power. And so the Lord says, if you'll say what I tell you to say, all of heaven is behind it. The weight of heaven is behind what you say when you declare what the king is saying. And so that's, that's a big key to prayer, is declaring what God says, speaking his words. Number three, and I kind of want to mess with you all in the next, the next one, all right? I, I had an agenda for tonight, and when I, got, when I got to number three, I wanted to dig, all right? So I'm not up here with no agenda. I do have an agenda, all right? I'm not lying to you. What is prayer? Prayer is standing between heaven and earth for another person. Why don't you all say that with me? Prayer is standing between heaven and earth for another person. All right? You guys have heard the scripture, 2 Chronicles 7, verse 14 and 15. It's, when you talk about prayer, this is one of the, the, the number one things that will come up. If you want to do a search on verses about prayer, this will be one of the top ones, if not the top one. 2 Chronicles 7, verse 14 and 15. It says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. And then he says, and my eyes will be open, and my ears attentive to the prayers that they offer in this place. How awesome is it that we have a God who says, when you do this stuff, my eyes and my ears will be open to your request, so that I can grant them for you. And you and I have been called, we are watchmen. We are watchmen. We are not just people trying to make it to heaven. Hello? Hello? (laughs) We're not people just trying to make it to heaven. If you're just trying to make it to heaven, you're missing out on the coolest part of Christianity. It's the ability to reconcile people with God. It's the ability to stand between destruction and another person's life. Hello? Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 30 and 31. Ezekiel chapter 22, verses 30 and 31. Again, one of the top ones when you talk about prayer, and especially when you talk about interceding and talk, standing in the gap for someone, this is the verse. Ezekiel 22, verse 30. It says, I looked for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand in the gap on behalf of the land so that I would not have to destroy it. And I like to stop there, but the verse goes on, and this will get us into a good topic, all right? It says, but I didn't find anyone. 
He says, I was looking for a man, one person, to stand in the gap between destruction and between prosperity, health, goodness, and I couldn't find somebody. I wanted them there so that I didn't have to let destruction come upon this place, but because there was no one there, I had to let this thing go. Everybody hear me? Then he goes on and he says, so I will pour out my wrath on them. Woo, sounds like a scary God. Hello? So I will pour out my wrath on them and consume them with my fiery anger. Y'all don't hear me talk about this a lot. And you'll hear as we get into this. This is going to be a fun topic. It says, bringing down on their heads all that they have done, declares the Lord. So if you just hear that first part of the verse, or verse 31, it says, and I will pour out my wrath on them and I will let destruction. You think, man, God's really mean. God sends evil on people. He punishes, he hurts people. But he says, and he says, I'm looking for someone to stand in the gap so that the things that people have sown will not fall upon their own heads. I'm looking for someone to say, yeah, you smoked for 40 years. You have lung cancer now. I'm standing with heaven between lung cancer and, and healing. And I'm going to keep lung cancer from coming to you. And I'm going to release healing over you. Because the 40 years of what you sowed, do you deserve lung cancer? I, I don't even like to talk about this because it's, it's horrible. But sometimes we say you deserve it. You, 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 you hurt yourself. You deserve it. No, people don't deserve it. It's the punishment of sin. Jesus died because he didn't want us to go through it. And he's saying, I'm looking for Christians. I'm looking for somebody on the earth to say, I don't care what they've sown and what they've planted in the ground that's, that's got a harvest that's coming back on their own head. I want someone to step in between what they've sown and what I paid for at the cross. I want you to listen to this. This is our calling as intercessors. To stand in the gap and say, you know what? It doesn't matter what you did before. You're a new creation. I think there's revelation going to come to the church in the next few years. And that scripture says, we, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. I think what's going to happen is you're going to see people that sowed horrible oats and, 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 and seeds in their life that are reaping negative harvests in their life because of bad decisions. And the moment they give their heart to Jesus, all of that stuff's going to be turned around in their life. The church is going to come into a new realm and authority in this scripture that says, you know what? You're a new creation. You smoked for 40 years. You just gave your heart to the Lord. Your lungs are brand new in Jesus' name. And we're going to begin to see breakthrough. That's the call of an intercessor. To stand between what we deserve and what Jesus said he wanted us to have. Now, that's what we're called to as Christians. Not to just me make it to heaven. But for me to stand and say, you know what? The homosexual who's dying from AIDS doesn't deserve AIDS. I don't care what their decisions were. I don't care what they sowed. Jesus said no to it. And all they need is to connect to the Father, and he can give them new life, and they can be completely whole, completely new. It's not just a spiritual renewal that takes place at salvation. I believe it's a complete full-body renewal, emotional renewal, physical renewal, uh, uh, um, personality renewal. I believe he just sums it all up in salvation. And we haven't fully got it yet, and that's what we're going to go after as a church, to see people new, as new creations. 
New lungs for people. New livers for people that, that, that destroyed theirs from alcohol. New, new uh, uh, healing in marriages where, 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 where there was evil sown into the marriage and God makes them have a, have a perfect marriage. That other people are like, man, I want a marriage like theirs. Just by saying yes to the Lord. Yeah? You know, um, <clears throat> we have to have the mind and the thinking of Christ for us to be his watchman. Like, if we have horrible thinking, being a watchman with judgmental thinking is a terrible thing. Being an intercessor with a judgmental attitude will make you a sourpuss. Period. It will make you not very fun to be with. <laughs> if, I, if I ask Matthias, if he's having a... Matthias, you going to be fun to be with? He... Flashes me that beautiful smile. So he's, if, if, we can't be fun to be with if we have a judgmental attitude. Especially as intercessors because what we'll start doing is we'll start praying things that are out of the character of God over people. God, get them. Whatever you have to do, wake them up. If they have to hit rock bottom first, let them hit rock bottom, God. Why does everyone have to hit rock bottom before they find God? I want, the, I want the Mark Cubans of the world that are rich and love their life to find God and not have to hit rock bottom first. And the church doesn't know what to do with people that are, that are enjoying their life. We don't know how to save those people. We only know how to save people that have been crushed. So we come in church and we're like, God, crush all the sinners around us. Kill their kids. Make them have diseases. Make them poor so they need you, God. Do you hear how twisted that is? That would be like me wanting my kids to have pain and suffering so that they would need their dad. God's not like that. He's not like we are. And so for us to have a judgmental or a horrible um, view on life and how God sees the loss, and we're in in a place of intercession, we're doing more damage than we're doing good. There's that book um, that just came out of, of the little boy who died and went to heaven. Anyone? It's called, uh, I cannot think of the title. Heaven is a Real Place, something like that. You'll have to look it up. The little boy went to heaven and he says, You know what I found out about heaven, Daddy? It makes me cry. He said, God really loves people. He says, He really loves people. He just loves people. And he keeps talking about it. This is the revelation. You know, we think when we go to heaven, we're supposed to get some kind of revelation that's this or that, or we know secrets, or we, you know, this kid found out the greatest secret that needs to be told to everyone. God really loves people. He really does. When he said he loved the world, he really meant it. And if we as Christians and we as intercessors can get his view on the lost and pray from that perspective, all of heaven will be behind the words that we say. We'll be able to do drive-bys through horrible neighborhoods and say, God, I ask that you would save the people in that drug house. I ask that you would just do good things for them and save them. Bring them to a place of knowing you, God. They deserve to know you. They don't deserve to die. They don't deserve to go to jail. They don't deserve punishment. They deserve to know you. You know what? People don't deserve what we sow. People deserve to know God. On Twitter, there's, I follow a guy named Adam Savage. 
He's from, if you, if you watch Mythbusters, he's the redheaded funny one on Mythbusters. I love the guy. He's so, uh, he's hilarious. He sends out a tweet yesterday, and um, on it, it, said, it takes a quote from a 17-year-old boy who says, if you, if you reject evolution, you're basically rejecting science. And so Adam Savage re- puts the quote there, and then he puts, from a 17-year-old hero, all caps, who's trying to get creationism out of the schools in California from being taught. My immediate reaction is justice. What? That's so backwards. We're going to fight you and get evolution taken out of the school. Yeah, that's my first thought. Yeah, this is... My second thought was, I don't want to follow this guy anymore. If he's going to say stuff like that, I don't want to listen to it. My third thought was better than my first two. My third thought was God speaking. And he says, he needs to know that I love him. And I was like, yeah. So I'm going I'm to send him a tweet. So I sent him one. If he reads it, he reads it. If he doesn't, he doesn't. It's not up to me. But he was reading a lot of religious tweets because he comments as man, I guess I stirred up a lot of religious people that didn't know I was a man of science or whatever. So he was definitely responding to, to other Christians that had, had texted him. And I just said something along these lines. I don't remember exactly, but close to this. I said, you may or may not read this, and you may or may not care. But the God that you're convinced isn't our maker is absolutely crazy in love with you, and he believes in you. And I was like, I pray he reads it, because he needs to know that we're not here to judge and say you're wrong because you believe in evolution, and you deserve to be lost and hopeless. He needs to just know one thing. It doesn't matter if he believes in God or not. God believes in him, right? God's trying to shift the way I see people. You know, I, I told you this, and it still happens to me a lot. It's a weird thing. I don't, I don't talk, you may remember me hitting on that. I don't talk about it a lot because it, it, it's, kind of, it's kind of weird, I, I think. But it's God's, God's thing he's done for me. When I see people, uh, often God will show me what they looked like as a six, seven, eight-year-old little kid. And what he'll do is he'll take me to when they were dreaming as a little little boy or little girl, and what they wanted to become. And I will begin to see them as a child, and my heart will begin to break for them because what I'm seeing doesn't match up what their dreams were. And I will begin to pray for them. God, remember the dreams they had when they were a little kid? Help those things to come true. It, it really does help me because I can be a really mean person to people if I let myself. I can get frustrated with people. If people do things that I don't think they shouldn't do, I can get really frustrated. You need to do it the way I do it. I can go crazy on that. And the Lord's trying to say, no, you need to love people. You need to treat people well. How can you be an intercessor, Jared, and stand between, between heaven and earth if you don't think the way I think about stuff, if you don't see them the way I see them? How can you possibly create an impact for good on this planet if your view is twisted and it's skewed? And he's really been challenging us in this. We have to think like him. So I have a couple of questions, and we're going to wrap up the, the other two things pretty quick. This topic may go another few minutes. We may have to carry on next week. So along those lines, does God cause bad things or send punishment to people to get them to repent? I want to ask you that question. Does God send punishment, or does He allow bad things to happen to people to get them to repent? I want you to think about it. We're not going to take time for an I just want you to think about it. I want you to think about it. 
Does God send, does God allow earthquakes to come to places to get people's attention to repent? Did God send Hurricane Katrina to New Orleans because of all the witchcraft that was going on there to get their attention? I want you to just think about it. Now I want you to hear what he says about it. In Romans 2 verse 4. Romans 2 verse 4. It says, Or do you show contempt for the riches of His kindness? Romans 2 verse 4. Now did you hear? In other words, he's saying, Or do you get mad because of how rich His kindness is? Do you show contempt for the kindness that God has for people? Do you show contempt for the riches of His kindness, tolerance, and patience? And then it says, not realizing that God's kindness is what leads you to repentance. If the, question, if, if the answer to the question was, yeah, God sends bad things to make people repent, that's not thinking with His perspective. Now, I don't want to beat people over the head over this, but it's really prevalent in the church for us to think that God sends judgment in regions because of sin to get people's attention to draw them to God. That's not God's weapon of choice. His weapon of choice is kindness. How do people that aren't connected to the Father know the kindness that He has for them and the love He has for them? If they're not connected to Him, how can they possibly feel His goodness? That's where we are. That's where we come in. We are to be an open display and representation of how the Father feels about people. We're to show them in our actions, in the demeanor and the the countenance on our face that says, this is how God views you. He's not trying to punish you or hurt you. God is not mad at you. He's mad at the devil. He doesn't want to punish you. He wants to punish the devil. Let me ask you a follow-up question to that. Do you think God wants to punish man? Everybody's like, I'm not saying anything. (laughs) Do you think God wants to punish man? The Bible even says that hell was not even created for us. It wasn't even created for us. It says that judgment or punishment entered the world when Jesus became the punishment that all creation and all mankind deserved. So if we think that that God still, thank you buddy, if God still wants to punish people, what we're saying is Jesus didn't take enough punishment at the cross. I'm going to say that again, because that was a really good point. That was a good point for us to say, "Uh uh-huh, and listen to it. If we think people deserve punishment, what we're really saying is Jesus didn't take a full enough punishment at the cross. I've said this before, but I think the worst day that God will ever have will be the day that He has to has to tell people that have to go to hell. Like, like I think He's looking for a million ways to get out of sending people to hell. Like, it's the last resort. It's the last thing I want to do. Don't I can hear Him? Don't make me do this, guys. I hear God saying to the church right now, church, don't let me 
have to make that decision. Christians, wake up. Stand in the gap. Stand in for somebody. Get my mind. I don't want to do this to people. I don't want to let this happen. Do something about it. Wake up. Do something. Tell somebody. Don't tell them they need to repent. Don't tell them they need to change their life. Tell them I love them. Tell them I'm infatuated with them. My love will change any situation. My love will create holiness in their life. Just please tell them I love them. I hear, if he could come into the room right now, he would say what I'm saying right now. I believe with all my heart. Don't make me do this. Don't make me make this decision. It's too hard for me. I've anguished over it for eternity. This is all under the the point saying we have to think like him to be watchmen. Second Peter three verse nine. Second Peter three verse nine says the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He's patient with you. How many knows the rest of it? Not wanting anyone to perish but for everyone to come to repentance. Like, that's his heart. So if I view anyone outside of that, I am, I am being influenced by an antichrist spirit. Hello? That's, that's a heavy thing to say. But if I view anything out, if I view the lost outside of this, I am under the influence of a hate, hatred spirit, of an antichrist spirit that doesn't see people the way God sees them. You know, the church gets too excited to tell people they're going to hell. We get too happy when people get what they deserve in our mind. We rejoice in it way too often. And it's not God's heart. The Bible says that there's more rejoicing in heaven over one soul that comes to Him. You guys good? It's heavy stuff. This is like Sunday morning stuff. We're going to have to bring this back on a Sunday morning. If I can't think like him, I can't be a good watchman. So what is my understanding of end times? I almost preached this Sunday morning, this last Sunday morning. And something told me just to hold off on some of it. But when Jesus is speaking of wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and pestilence and nakedness and famines and evil on every side. When he was telling us that, he wasn't prophesying what he wanted to happen. He was literally showing us the backdrop of what we would be born into to fix. He was saying, church, you're going to see rumors of wars and wars and famines and nakedness. I'm sending you into that setting. Here's what I want. Here's heaven's desire for earth and for people. Here's what you're going to step into that's, that's happening. What are you going to do with the space between what's going on and what I really want to take place? What are you going to do with the planet that I'm giving you to, to steward? The Bible says all of creation, in Romans this says all of creation longs for and groans for the appearing of God's sons and daughters. Do you know what that means? The world is aching right now 
for sons and daughters of God who are holy, who know how to speak for God because they think like God, they hear from God. The, the world is longing for them to step up and say, I have solutions. This is what we're going through. This is wars, rumors of war, earthquake, famines, nakedness, pain, terrorism. This is going on now. But we were born to fix this society. We were born to bring a heaven that's peaceful, that's loving, that's got order, that's not chaotic. We were born with that. And we're here to bring that into this experience to change the setting of what we're in right now. What are we going to do with the space between? You know, I don't want us as a church, I don't want one of us to stand before God and Him say, you could have done more, you could have told more people. Why were you happy with that? I gave you the keys to the kingdom and I gave you the whole planet to steward. What did you do with it? Everybody okay? See, the shape that this planet is in when He returns is not up to God. Hello? (laughs) The shape this planet is in when God comes back is not up to Him. It's up to us. He gave us the earth to inhabit it, to subdue it, to fill it with the glory of the Father, to bring healing to it. Amen? You're going to hear of Christian um, environmentalists that come up with solutions to help our environment. This is, this is going to start happening in the next few years. You're gonna, it's going to become prominent of, of spirit-filled, on-fire-for-God environmentalists that know how to heal the planet, that know how to bring um, species that are endangered back to, back to growing populations. Because the church is going to wake up and go, Oh, this is our problem. Oh, God, we thought you had to do something. The church is going to have that wake-up moment. Okay, God, we can fix this, and we're going to begin to partner with God and stand in the gap between destruction and between what God's will is. And we're going to begin to create His will on earth as it is in heaven. Everybody good? All right, number four. (laughs) That's been a long night, right? Prayer is friendship with God. It's speaking the words of God on the earth. It's standing between heaven and earth for another person. Number four, it's aligning our will with God's will so that we can have everything He wants for us to have. Prayer is aligning our will with God's will. There's some scriptures here. The Lord's Prayer. He told us to pray, Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's, that, that aligns our will with God's. Like, God, I would think this needs to happen, but you know what? Prayer brings me into where my will isn't what leads me any longer. It's where the will of the Father begins to take over. And then all of a sudden, I begin to think like Him and want what He wants. And it creates a different perspective in prayer. So prayer is aligning our will with God's. And the, the, uh, the last thing is, is prayer, it humbles us. It humbles us and it exalts God. Now, I don't ever want to not talk about that when it comes to prayer because that's one of the most important parts of prayer is that Yeah, we're powerful people. He gave us authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and overcome all the power of the enemy. I mean, we really are power-packed people. We're a new creation. We're a holy nation of peculiar people. We're a royal priesthood. We're something the world's never seen before. We're, We're amazing. But when I come before God, He's amazing. And I want Him to know it. And prayer always puts the right perspective on my life. Let me, let me close with this. 
If I won't pray and spend time with God, I become God. If I don't spend time with Him, I become the Master and He becomes my servant. Because prayer puts us in the right perspective. God, you're here and I'm on my knees before you. I can't even stand in your presence. I mean, honestly, you know, if God really walked into this room right now, we wouldn't even have a time to, we, our involuntary action would be face down. The Bible says that on that day, every, every mouth will confess that he's Lord and every knee will bow. I don't think that he's going to come into the room and everyone's, he's going to say, all right, tell me I'm Lord. Come on. I've been waiting for this. All right, bow, bow to your sensei. <laughs> you know? I don't think he's going to do that. I think when we see him, the natural response is going to be face down. That's what prayer does to us. It puts us in a face down position. God, you're so big. You are so wise. You know everything. And I have to do this every day because I need to remember that. Because I don't need to be God in my life. I don't need to be independent. I don't need to do things my way. I have to have you. I have to be with you. It acknowledges our dependence on him. Prayer does. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. Probably one of my favorite times we've had at church recently, favorite topics, is removing the pride that says I can do anything without God. That I can make a decision without God. Oh, I can do church without God. I can ride my, my bike. I can, I can drive my car. I can go to work. I, I got this, God. I'll talk to you tomorrow. That's such a pride that smacks him in the face. God wants us to remember he's holy. He's still powerful. I mean, when he speaks, the whole universe still trembles. The Bible says the hills melt like wax in his presence. Fire goes before him. Burns up all his enemies. <laughs> and he's this amazing, powerful being. Just because he's not angry like we think he is doesn't take away his power and his, his, his desire for justice. Yeah? It's going to be a fun few weeks. We're going to learn how to pray right. Because I don't want to pray amiss. We'll get into that also. It says, you don't get what you ask for when you pray, because when you pray, you pray amiss. Because you're praying for what you want. You have no clue what I would really want. And you ask me for these ridiculous things that if I gave them to you, they would kill you. So I don't answer your prayers, and you get mad at me because I didn't answer your prayer. Right? So Lord, I just ask right now that you would teach us to pray. That the things we talked about tonight would seep deep into our hearts, that they wouldn't just become things that we believe, but they'll become foundational values that we have, so that things that we do in life will flow out of these things, that they will be at the core of who we are, that being a person who who prays and spends time in friendship with God becomes a core value that we don't, don't back away from that we don't make excuses for, and that we, that we protect with everything in us that time with you. Father, I will say, forgive us for not being the people of prayer we could be. So we, we repent, and now there's no shame. And we want a fresh start today, Lord. I pray you give us your mind and your eyes. I pray that people here 
and myself, that as we walk through, through life and rub shoulders with people that are lost and hurting, that you would show us the number one thing that's on their heart and show us how to heal it. Help us to see the number one thing pressing on their mind and give us the solution so we can tell them how much you love them, Lord. I ask that you would make us a tangible representation of your love on the planet. In Jesus' name, amen. Now you have some homework. Pray. That's it, pray. There's, there's no, we used to teach our teenagers we had a prayer wheel. You start off with worship and you move into repentance and you move to, it was great to teach young people how to pray, but there's no formula for it. It's different for everyone. Just do it. Just pray. I think someone said it best. The key to prayer is Pray. <laughs> Key to it is just do it. Practice it. Learn, learn the presence of God. I want our church to see revival. I want to see more people set free from demonic activity. I want to see cancer healed. I don't want to see them at the expense of relationship with the Father, though. I don't want to see them and take a shortcut and say, God, I want this more than I want to spend time with you. I want prayer to be the, the thing that, that forces these, these things to happen in our life. Amen? How many say you feel the same way? Yeah. How many will, will raise your hand and say, I want to make a new commitment to prayer? Yeah. Even if you're doing awesome, I'll make a new commitment. I, I, I want to connect to the Father. And I can't, tell you, I can't tell you how to connect to Him. You have to learn it. Learn the rhythms of the Father. The rhythms of the relationship. It's really important. Thank you all so much for coming out. It's been a great night. And uh, be safe. Enjoy the weather and the weekend. And, and uh, we'll see you guys on, on Sunday. We do have a work day Saturday if you want to come between 10 and 12. Um, we need people here if you want to be here. And um, other, other than that, we love you guys. And be blessed. Yeah.